calling all hardscapers, landscapers, and outdoor living pros. This is your host, Joshua Gillow. I am so excited to announce our first ever six-day immersive hands-on outdoor living design build event in New Holland, Pennsylvania. Over the course of a week, Yes Express, Souders Hardscape Supply, and Pave Tool Innovators are going to teach you how to become downright dangerous in sales, design, installation, and equipment slash tool operation. Expert teachers will cover the installation of custom features like permeable pavers, fireplaces, stone decks, custom outdoor kitchens, water features, putting greens, and so, so much more. This event was designed specifically for growth-minded business owners and teams who want to get their hands dirty and learn from the best so they can take their businesses to new, unimaginable levels. So mark your calendar from February 20th to the 25th. Seating is limited. You can get your tickets today at OutdoorLivingMastery.com. Again, OutdoorLivingMastery.com. Oh, did I mention that we're raffling off over $20,000 in specialty tools and other profit-driving goodies at this event? You're not going to want to miss it. Let's make 2023 the most profitable year ever. Now back to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. This week, we have one of the top online fitness experts in the world who's responsible for helping thousands of men and women transform their lives. Uh, his name is Andy Naylor, and he's going to be sharing with you how you take fitness and bring it into mindset and business, because you get so much more out of both of those things when you have your physique and your, and your overall health dialed in. He's also going to share a couple of tips at the end of the episode about working out and how to get the most from the least amount of time and effort. So stick with us all the way to the end. Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, I hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we're passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 25 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow. This episode is brought to you by Yes Express, where we can help you double sales in half the time. And if you're interested in that, reach out. Hello at yes.express. Today, we have on the show, we have one of the top online fitness experts in the world. He's transformed thousands of lives through his philosophy and fitness. He's the also the host of the Optimal Alpha podcast, and he's just a beast of a man with a big heart. I love him. His name is uh, Andy Naylor. Andy, welcome to the show. Joshua, thanks, man. Oh, um, another lovely um, intro that I feel I'm going to have to live up to on, on, on a guest <laughs> um, Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, abs, 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 the pleasure's all mine. Absolute pleasure to be here, sir. Let's, let's get into it. Absolutely, brother. So, you know, it's uh, just so the listeners know, I met Andy here through a, a mutual friend, um, Ace Haggerty. He was on his podcast. And as soon as he was on a podcast and Ace signed up to train with with Andy, and then uh, I was actually at the time looking for a trainer. So next thing you know, Andy uh, and I got together and now we're I'm starting to train. And just so anyone out there listening, if they don't know this is I've never trained in my life. I don't understand dumbbells. I don't I was a ninja warrior for the longest time. I don't understand any of that world eating and all of that. So he is now him and his team are now educating me on how this whole thing works. And uh, we also share something from our, our younger days. Uh, uh, 
a nickname, right? A nickname that we kind of both started out with. Mine was Stick in high school, and uh, he shares the same nickname, but obviously he is no Stick now. So uh, it's just amazing how those things line up when when Ace reached out to me and he's like, dude, you'll never believe what I'm podcast. And this guy's a, he's a beast, and his nickname used to be Stick. I was like, damn, this is destiny. So yeah, <laughs> tell yeah, me that so story. How did you get that name, that nickname? So, uh, well, I, I was just, I mean, I was just, as, as a child, I was incredibly inconfident, underconfident, shy, r- deadly shy, um, and thin, weak, gangly. Like, well, not gangly would be tall, but just, just, just nothing of me, nothing of yeah. me. Um, and I think if you mix together this idea of being, you know, I had no, I wasn't, I had no sort of stature. I mean, even as a child, you can see if someone's going to, you know, they've got something about them in terms of their physicalness, their physicality. I had none of that. I was sporty. So I played like most kids, I played all sports and I was pretty average at all of them, except for hockey and basketball, of which I pretty much excelled at. But you add together these two traits of being very, un, very unconfident, very, very shy, and then not having any physicality. Those two things, well, they can, but for me, those two things somehow just couldn't continue because if they did continue, it would be a, from my perspective now, looking back, a life not lived. Um, And I can only imagine what life might have been like for me if I'd have carried on down that path. And I feel for anybody out there who is, you know, who feels that they have no physicality, that can be changed and I'm proof of that. And so are many other people, but also people who are living extremely shy and underconfident. It's crippling genuinely crippling and and, it, and no one wants another person to be shy right like we did we'd never wish shyness on someone else or underconfidence on someone else or self-esteem issues we would never ever wish that on our enemies i don't really think so it's only something that's internal which means it can only be fixed internally by the person um yes we can be led down the road and we can have help and support and so on and so forth but it has to be a switch and for me i have no idea where that switch came from i can't even say oh this particular thing happened and i became confident or what whatever a version of confident is because i'm not always still um so i don't know when that happened i've no idea but yeah i I can remember being at school and this is a primary school so up to the age of 10 11 something like that and i'm guessing i'm about nine or ten and i need to go to the library and so I need to walk out of a classroom. I need to walk down a corridor of where I've been at school for three or four years, maybe walk into a library where there is a class sitting, watching television. So this is like the TV room at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I had to knock on the door. Well, I was supposed to knock on the door, walk in, obviously say, oh, I'm just here to get a book from the library, walk around and get it. I walked up to the door and saw a class sitting there, knew full well the moment I knocked on the door and opened it, what would happen? Naturally, everybody would look to see who's coming in the door and I couldn't face it. And so I stood outside the door and eventually I had to go back and somehow, I don't know how I got out of explaining to the teacher, oh, I couldn't find the book. I just must have come up with something. And I don't know if that's exactly in common, um, but it's stuck in my, or it still sticks in my mind. This, like now you give me an opportunity to open the door and walk through it and everyone look at me. I'll jump at it, quite frankly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I'm, like literally, I'm like literally the opposite yeah. way. Um, yeah. I, I don't mind it at all. I, I, you know, I, I, um, people who know me personally would say, um, well, actually, my wife would say, I'm going off on a tangent here, right? But my wife would say, if we're invited out to, oh, I don't know, anything, a barbecue, a get-together, a party or something, I'll be moaning and groaning the whole way through the day. I can't be bothered. I don't want to go. And she said, like, the moment I walk through the door, ping, something happens, and I become that person who um, is, I don't know, life and soul of the party, whatever the phrase might be. But um, 
it's it's and I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. Uh, so yeah, I, I guess I guess I I started what seemingly now seems quite a long way as an individual as to where I am now. And there there wasn't I get asked this a lot, and I can't think of there being one particular point where something moved in a different direction. Um, I think. I really, I really can't say what that is. Whatever it was, and whatever things aligned, I'm truly grateful yeah. for. Um, Absolutely, and, I, and I, can... I try, I guess, to pull on whatever the learnings I've got, and then teach those back to people who may be feeling the same. For sure. Yeah, the crazy part is, Andy, my story's not a whole lot different that way. You know, low confidence, low self esteem, skinny, scrawny. You know, and and just kind of trying to hide in the background, just average as as you could possibly get. And, you know, it, it's, I don't remember that spark either, right. In, in life when things just all of a sudden made sense. Uh, but I, I know that discipline was a major factor in that, you know, for me, did you find that to be the case as well? Once you started disciplining, started building confidence, was that your journey? Discipline for me, I think has come later on in life. Um, okay. I think, I think, I mean, I, 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 I left school. I, I, I went to get a job. I became an electrician. I hated it. I dropped out halfway through. I went to do a, a, a job um that was something completely different than i left home i suppose i mean i left home at 18 which is as soon as you can leave home in the uk it's, that's the oldest you can rent somewhere so me and a friend left and went to live in a place called nottingham um and i think i had to become a level of disciplined at 18 which is older than most people sorry younger than most people leave home most people now are leaving home a lot later because they're staying at home to save up money to get a house etc mm -hmm. so i suppose there was a level of discipline that had to be gained pretty quickly because suddenly you're in control of yourself. Although I would say the first two to three years of living out of home and being self-supportive were not the most successful um, <laughs> because at the same time I was a semi-professional DJ and playing up and down the country in, in dance clubs at God knows what time of the night every weekend. So life was very un very unbalanced, um, incredibly mm. unbalanced and not particularly healthy um, through my sort of early 20s up to about maybe 23. Um, and I suppose... Although even even during that, I was quite, I suppose, thinking about it, I was quite disciplined because I used to have to have a little book and a diary and I'd be sending out CDs and promoting myself. And I suppose there was a there, there was a discipline to go after getting those gigs and put in the work behind it. I didn't think yeah. about it as discipline at the time. I just thought about it as doing what was required to get to the goal. Right. And I suppose that's maybe the way I see it now. I, um, I will always say to clients as well, just to sort of bring this around to something that, you know, we, we do not rely upon motivation. Motivation is, frankly, fairy dust. It, it doesn't exist. Technically, it's dopamine and adrenaline, and those two things go up and down. Whereas yeah. discipline, habits, lifestyle, momentum, those things are tangible. You can nearly point at them. You can point at the habit of somebody when they're doing something. You can't point at when they're being motivated. Um, so I think, although I guess we could say I was motivated to go after and chase those things, ultimately, yeah, I guess it was discipline, although I just didn't see it that way at the time. I just loved doing the thing. And this is important, I think, with anything that we're doing. If we love doing the thing, doing it isn't a challenge or doing That's it isn't right. difficult. It's kind of yeah. like, oh, I, I, well, I'm, like, I'm not great at reading, for example. I have to be disciplined to sit myself down to read 10 pages a day. I find it challenging. Mm -hmm. But for someone like my wife, she will sit and read half a book every night before she goes to sleep. She loves it. It's not, <laughs> it's not a challenge for her. She doesn't need to be disciplined. Yeah. I'm like... I'm like, how, how she just reads a page. Like I, I read a page and have to read it again. And after, she's like, oh. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I'm like, what? And she's like, and she'll sit there and she'll just read a book. And I'm like, she's, and she's got, you know, she disappeared into this book and into the world. And yeah. I'm, like, I'm, I'm yeah. envious of that. Um, yeah. Whereas I think she's being super disciplined. She's just doing what she loves. So um, yeah. yeah, I guess there was discipline. Um, uh, but I didn't, 
again, I don't think I was conscious of it, I suppose, whatever it was. Okay. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, it's really, it, it's amazing on our journey. So with, with that being the case and you were doing DJing and all that up and down the, you know, the country, um, how did you eventually find your way into bodybuilding and fitness and all that? How did that ever happen for you? So, uh, yeah, about 23, particularly unhealthy, had a late friend, Guy, uh, Guy Harris, no longer with us. Um, he started to go and do a martial art called Jeet Kune Do, which was Bruce, Bruce Lee's um, sort of amalgamation of lots of different martial arts. Anyway, so there was someone very, very in our local town who was teaching that at a very high standard, only two people down from Bruce Lee. So Bruce Lee taught, I think, five people. One of those five people was a chap called Richard Bustillo. Richard Bustillo taught the person who taught me. So it was only like three people down. So it was like, anyway. So I, I went and started doing that and I was I was like literally breathing out my backside. I couldn't, I could barely get through an hour's lesson. It was, it was horrific, but I loved it. And I do have this slightly annoying trait of being able to pick something up really quickly. So my skill acquisition is fast. I, I learn fast. And I might not take it all the way to a certain level that someone else might do, but my initial pickup of something is, is genuinely quick and I, it, it's across the board. So it's just whatever that skill acquisition is. So I got good quick. So within three years, I was a brown belt training for black, top of the class, um, uh, and loved it. I used to come home white as a sheet, steam coming off me. I, I loved it. <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, oh, could, you know, Guy was also starting to go to the gym and he's like, oh, you know, it will help us get stronger for this. And so he started going to the gym. And what I noticed was the two things didn't go well for me. So I was getting a lot of elbow pain. And for me, I could tell it was a mixture of probably not training well in the gym, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But yeah. the mixture of training and then, like, you know, throwing right hooks and things, I was getting a lot of elbow pain. And I thought, well, I'm enjoying the gym more. So I'm going to follow that path and that's it um so that's about 19 or something years ago i guess um so all of a sudden i'm into the gym and i would say did what most people do which is just copy everybody else in the gym which mean i probably wasted the first five years of my training because i didn't know what the hell i was doing i was just yeah. copying everyone else I, I was literally the only person in the gym walking around with a little square piece of paper i used to write down what i did and I, so I used to go, I used to go to the like reception cubby hole thing. I used to take one off and I used to write it down and I'd go home and put it in an Excel spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't work out why anyone else wasn't tracking the numbers. Cause I thought, well, at least I know I'll, I'll come back in and I know what I'm supposed to beat the next time. It just made logical sense. And everyone was like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I'm just writing down the numbers, like what I've lifted. And they're like, yeah, I remember. And I'm like, you can't remember everything you've done. Like you're just guessing though, aren't you? And like, and this is why you've looked the same for the past three years. And I don't want to, I, I want something better. I'm devoting a heck of a lot of time. So I quickly started to realize that stop copying everybody else and start thinking for myself. Yeah. And that, the, that progression has just continued forever. That idea of very quickly, don't copy the people around you. Not, and I, I don't mean that disrespectfully in any way at all, but don't copy the people around you if they're not changing ultimately if they were if they were all changing and looking savage and looking great i'd copy them right go oh, well you're obviously doing success leaves clues right there's the phrase but when they're looking the same and i'm like i've been coming here three years i look the same you look the same i've been copying you something's wrong here um and that was literally it i absolutely fell in love with the gym um and once i started to i guess educate myself then things started to come together along with bringing in coaches and you know actual people to come in and sort of really draw from their knowledge and experience which then got me i guess into the idea of oh co coaching like there's a, there's a there's a whole world of people out here with a lot of experience um and then 
because a, a business situation, late, situation later down the line, it sort of fell on my lap to become a PT and, and, and sort of start coaching people myself. But that, that, I guess that's the origin story of how and why and when um, I got, got into the gym, um, which seems a long time ago now. <laughs> <laughs> you said 19 years. So over 19 years going from, you know, we'll just call it mixed martial arts or if you have a better phrase for it, but, you know, working that, that Bruce Lee style into the gym and then kind of growing through. Did you have certain, did you set yourself certain goals as you move through? Ultimately, what I want to get to in this conversation is how does that fitness tie into mindset and business? Because I know that you're, you know, you're an entrepreneur and you're, you're now in Dubai and all that stuff. So I'm curious about how fitness and how you see other people that you train, the thousands you've trained, take fitness and, and help them launch in their mindset and their business. That's the direction I'd love to take this. Do you know what? I would say the two things are nearly exactly the same. Um, so you need, so in, on, in so many ways, so they're nearly exactly the same in the way that I look upon them. And certainly to be successful at business, I think you need a physique and a mind to give you the vehicle to do that thing. Yeah. So um, in terms of, in terms of the similarities, I mean, commitment, discipline, fortitude, like all the things that you need to go off. So I guess to give, here's when here's I've here's worked this out. So the first show that I ever did, which is, oh my goodness, 2016. So I did my first show. I had 11 weeks to prep for it. And I'd, I, I, my business was growing and I did it for two reasons. One, could I do it? Could I be one of those people that got in that level of shape? I didn't know. And two, give my business credibility. Because who on earth am I if I can't? It wasn't about getting on stage and wanting that, but it was like, well, I needed proof of concept. So those are the two reasons I did it. But the things I learned going through that prep about myself, so I still have the pictures of getting on stage and what I look like, and it's brilliant, and I won my first show, and the the that's all great. But what I learned was I was able to commit to something. I was able to stick to it for a long period of time. I was able to suffer way beyond what people think it takes. Certainly in the second show that I did, because I pushed the envelope far, far, far further, the last three or four weeks of that were horrific on so many levels, physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, I'm being broken on every level. And anyone who's prepped hard for a show will probably tell you it gets to that point. I couldn't hold a conversation with someone. I barely knew my own name. I couldn't cross roads to walk home from the gym, but my clients would have to give me a lift home because I was so delirious all of the time. Mm. And the thing is here, I could have stopped it at any point. I could have pulled the plug and gone out for a burger and chips and fries and filled myself back up at any point. But the fortitude of, no, I've said I'm going to do this thing, so I'm going to do it and I'm going to see it through. And it's it's this weird paradox of it hurts to be that lean, like physically to walk around with no fat on the bottom of your feet and there's you know to sit it hurts everything hurts you can't mm. sleep you've got no energy you can't have a conversation it's like people think you're kind of literally trying to kill yourself i have a picture of myself one morning where i'm i'm so lean my my cheeks are so sucked in i look like a drug addict like the mm. picture literally looks like a, i look horrific my physique looked amazing but my face was so drawn in and my eyes were so sunken i took a picture and i still look at it now and i'm like <laughs> the hell are you doing to yourself? But, you know, <laughs> like two weeks later, when I filled out full of food, I was on stage, I looked as, as good as I've ever looked. So the, the similar, so the things I learned going through that prep, and then, ah, well, I can't keep the physique. I'm going to have to let that go a little bit because I need to get back into normality. But the lessons that I learned, like keep them, cultivate them. Now take that same discipline, fortitude, attitude, and apply it to the business. It's, it's, it's the same traits. Yeah. It's the same traits. I had to learn them going through something very challenging, very difficult, but then I just took those and, okay, well, if I've learned how to do them, can I just now apply them to how I go about me as a 
day-to-day entrepreneur, businessman, and then the business itself. So the, the similarities between those two align so well. Now, why does one need the other? So where the mind goes, the body follows is a phrase that I was taught a long time ago and I think is so real. And most people train their body, but they don't train their mind. They don't, they don't really give their mind much thought. They'll mindlessly scroll on things and they'll, 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 they'll contaminate their mind with rubbish and then they'll train their body. Yeah. And I'm not saying I don't do that. I'm, you know, sometimes I catch when I'm scrolling and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, just put the phone down, go and do something else. So training the body and the mind to function together optimally. So you can't function optimally mentally without being optimal physically. And you can't be optimal physically without being optimal mentally. The two things are completely interwoven. There's mm-hmm. no way, I don't believe there's any way around that. Um, there's only one person, I'm sure there's many others. There's one person who comes to mind who was not optim- optimal physically, but was mentally. And that's someone like Stephen Hawkins. Now, how many of those people come along? Not very yeah. many. The rest yeah. of us are just mere mortals and we have to be, we have to be balanced in both areas. So that when we can go into business, one, I have more daily energy than those around me. I am cognitively firing better than those around me. Not that it's a, not that it's a competition, but I just need to be moving fast, quick. Um, so my mind remains sharp because my body feels good. If my body felt sluggish and I had too much body fat and I wasn't sleeping well, my mind is not going to be where it needs to be. Then I'm going to start to run into things like decision fatigue. Um, not wanting to work. Um, like to, so to be, to, uh, to be honest, my sleep has been poor since being over here in Dubai. For some reason, I'm waking up very often through the night, which doesn't affect me first thing in the morning, but there is a period in the day when I'm, I'm, I notice that. And it's something that I'm having to work on a lot at the moment to be like, okay, obviously I'm in a different place, a lot of additional sunlight. Those things have changed my circadian rhythm and the, and the other rhythms that you go through. So again, something isn't quite optimal. And I have to be like, hmm, we have to be able to take a step back and understand that, be able to observe it and go like, this isn't right. This isn't where it needs to be. I need to change something about it. But if we have never been at a point of optimal, optimal physically and optimal mentally, then we don't know what the goal is. We don't know what our potential is. We don't know what we're capable of. We might think that being really sluggish and slow mentally at two, three, four o'clock in the afternoon is normal. It's definitely not. It means there's a problem. So in terms of the, you know, the people that we help, you know, the, the, the men and women of the business world, they, they fall into particular categories. One, the people that we help are particularly successful. C-suite business owners, business leaders, VPs, entrepreneurs um, generally have a family. So they have responsibility at home, generally very successful business or very high level in someone else's business. Generally 40 to 50 in that kind of bracket. So I'm 43. So I guess I resonate with a particular type of person as the face mm-hmm. of the business. But the problem is, is that person generally isn't in my world. They're not in the health and fitness sector. They're in goodness knows whatever else. So health and fitness was not at the forefront. So what have they done? They've sacrificed themselves along the journey, mentally, physically, health-wise, longevity, all these things. That's where we come in because I know that journey. I know exactly what it feels like. I'm just, I think I'm just lucky that I've built a business and become an entrepreneur in the fitness space. So by default, I'm, I'm looking after myself on that level. I'm guessing there must be other areas that I'm falling short on and someone else would be able to point that out to me, I'm sure. Um, but that's, yeah, that gives you just, I guess, a, a quick insight into, I think the similarities between business and fitness, they're all, there's so many. And then there definitely needs to be a, 
and and because again, I, I hear I hear a lot of people, and I, I hear this a lot. Oh yeah, like, like health and fitness somewhere next year. Like I'm fo- I'm focusing on my business at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yep. yeah, so am I. But like focusing on your business is great, and you might go off. And, I mean, a, a chap uh, only a few weeks ago to me, um, he was sort of telling me the order of his priorities at the moment, and health and fitness was number five. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, tell me what one to four is. And he's like, well, one, take my business to twenty five million a year, and two, something about getting married, and da da da. And I'm like, savage goals, man, brilliant. I'm like, that twenty five million a year, you'd give it all away to buy your health back when you've lost it, wouldn't you? Yep. And he went quiet. And I said, I say that respectfully, man. I really do. But let's be honest, 25 million a year. Brilliant. Great goal. Love it. Absolutely awesome. Go after it. But it means nothing when you've got kidney disease or type 2 diabetes or you've had a stroke and a heart attack and, you know, you're, you know, infirm or whatever it might be. People's priorities sometimes get a little bit skewed. Business is great. Money gives us security and options. Yes. But we would give all that away if we had to regain our health. So, we try and encourage people to be able to not see health as a cost, both monetarily and time-wise, but an investment. Like I, I shouldn't even have to say it, really. I mean, you know, you think of some of the people we work with and how incredibly smart they are and switched on they are, yet they sometimes, sometimes can be quite stubborn in yep. their A-type personality. And, and they're like, no, 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 you know, it's all about business at the moment and generational wealth. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. But the generations after you won't even know who you are because you died young, you know. Yep. So, so yeah, I guess there's some of the similarities, and um, um, and I guess just a little bit of the a little bit of the information as to why I think just a little bit really of, of why staying in shape and looking after one's health should be optimal for business outcomes as well. No, I couldn't agree with you more, dude. And you know, my journey has been very similar in that way. Um, if without without the physicality, your mind can't possibly be sharp right? Except for very few people, right? So I found that in order to grow business, I had to grow myself. I had to grow my, my faith, my, my focus on my fitness and also, uh, you know, finance as well, but it's, it's all a balance. So if, if you're trying to go to that $25 million mark and you're leaving your body behind your vessel that moves your soul around, right? You, you leave that behind, then you're not going to have the energy needed to run something like that. You're going to be falling Sorry. short. So by yep. having the, the body, the mindset, and then the business, dude, you show up hundred percent. And that's, that's the thing that when I learned that, that I had to start moving and I always worked outside with my hands and did all those kinds of things, but until I started running and doing American Ninja Warrior and, and now starting to train with you is like, it's just a whole nother level. Then when things come in to the business that used to knock you out for an hour or two, where you'd be like, what the fuck again? Now you're like, boom, bounces right off. Of you. You're like, come on, dude, you can do better than that. Right. It, it just doesn't slow you down. It, it gives, it gives you a fortitude. And I think in this, in this this day and age, as we go few generations, and this isn't a criticism, it's an observation. It seems to me that generation by generation, I'm not saying we become weaker, that's a bit harsh, but if we look to the generations that's preceded us, I would say that there's generations, I think of the, the men and women that would have had no choice but to have gone out to World War II and fought, you know, as 18 year olds. The, the, again, the fought, I'm not saying they were physically amazingly fit, but mentally, yeah. that particular, so two generations or three generations up from me, back from me, the, the, the type of people they were are very different to two generations the other side of me. They're, they're, just, yep. they're just not even, it's just not the same type of person. And I yep. think that's not to do with the individual, but the world in, and the society in which we live in. In mm-hmm. other words, um, you know, let's, let's be blunt. I think people have it way too easy nowadays, all of us, yep. me included. So I'm sitting here 
yes, I still I still make a lot of my own food, but over here there is an app where you can order very good food that fits exactly into what I need, straight to the door. It's all calorie um, counted, prepared. It's so convenient and it's so easy for me to go, well, I'm just sitting here working, I'll get on that app, but I'll order two of those wraps, done. I'm like, yes, it allows me time to then focus on what's important, but it's 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 probably making me a little bit weak in a way because I'm I'm not. It's one thing I'm not having to do. It's it's a it's a weird balance, and so I think yeah. you know I I I think there are some lessons to be drawn from not necessarily walking the path of least resistance. In fact, there is a lesson to be drawn from that. We should be seeking out things that are difficult and doing them every day. Yes. All the time. In fact, not just things that are difficult, but things that, quite frankly, scare the living crap out of us. We should be mm. seeking those things and doing them. Why? It just makes us a better person. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Andrew Huberman's podcasts recently, um, smart guy, and he talks quite a lot about just before he gets out of bed. So he wakes up in the morning, he opens his eyes while he's still under the duvet. He's like, okay, I'm going to make myself get in a freezing cold shower. It seems to be a real popular thing to do at the moment, right? We just get up in the morning, getting a freezing cold shower. And I don't know how many people do it. It's, it isn't fun on any level at all. It feels amazing yeah. afterwards. But the idea of waking up and thinking, oh, bloody hell, I've got to do that again. But it's, it, it, I mean, it's, it's a silly thing, but it creates some degree of a m mental level of toughness. Like when I was getting up to do the prep, um, you know, I'd get up in the morning and I would have to, I would have to walk to the gym to PT people. So I would need my bag of food and my bag of training kit. So that's two bags. So I would get up in the morning at half four, um, just get some water down me a coffee. And I'd put one bag on the back of me and the one bag would be hanging on the front. And I'd walk out the door in the opposite direction of the gym. And I would walk 10,000 steps around the whole of my town, get into the gym and then get on a piece of um, cardio equipment do 40 minutes on that, stand in front of a mirror, do 20 minutes of posing, get in the shower, sit down, eat my breakfast, and straight away someone comes in the front door and is then a, you know, a client coming through the door. Now, you try and do that for 16 weeks. Like, eventually, it gets to a point where, quite frankly, you'd do anything else other than that. Yeah. Um, but what does getting up every day and doing that thing do for you? it shows you what you're capable of. And like I've said, those are the things that I've drawn. I'm like, well, if I was capable of doing that and people are capable of doing far more, like that's not, that's not amazing. There's people who do far, far greater things than that every single day. Um, but for me in my life and knowing how that felt, it was, it was a, it was a heck of a lot to commit to for 16 weeks when you're underfeeding yourself. So you take that, that attitude, that desire to win, and then you go place it in other things. And I think, it's again, it's purposefully finding something difficult every day to yeah. do yeah. and then yeah. going and doing it. And, I, and I, I wonder whether that's missing as we maybe move forward in time. Sure. Yeah. And I think that now we have a choice to do those things. I think in past generations, there wasn't the choice. We didn't have all the comforts that we have now at our fingertips mm -hmm. and on a phone and all that stuff. We had to, we had to work. Our parents, our grandparents, they had to work for this stuff that we now just can click a button and it happens. Amazon next day to your house. Like you had to go to the store for that stuff, right? So yep. those yep. things are conveniences, but. Ah, this week's sales nugget is a doozy. This is all about the client psychology when they're buying your product or service. Their service that you're offering them, maybe it's an outdoor living space, maybe it's a, a landscaping or retaining wall or whatever it might be. There's three questions that are burning in your client's mind. Uh, they're not going to admit these to you, but they are there nonetheless. The first question is, what's it going to look like? The second is, what's it going to cost me? And the third is, who is going to build it? 
Those three questions are constantly running in the back of their minds and your sales process has to make sure that you cover those things and that you that you give them the information that they need in a way that they can see what's in it for them from their client's perspective. Why should I choose your company over a competitor's company? If you could answer those three questions, what's it going to look like, what's it going to cost me, and who's going to build it in the most articulate way to give your clients the best understanding of what's in it for them, you win much more often. So you win more profitable projects with clients that you want to work with who are willing to pay you what you're worth. That's why this is so important. So what's it going to look like? What's it going to cost me? And who's going to build it? Make sure you wire that into your sales process. Back to your point about doing the hard things and doing them by choice. You know, it's discipline is built when you Keep the promises that you make to yourself, not to other people. It's saying, I'm going to train for your show, or I'm going to get in that cold shower, like Andrew said, like, I'm going to do that every single day. And you prove to yourself every fucking day that you're going to do it, regardless mm-hmm. if you want to. And then there's this, there's this, this aliveness that's built within you. When you go on to face something else that's tough in the day that you've never faced before, you're like, hit me yep. as hard as you can. You're not going to knock me out because I know I will not stop. Yep. And the other thing there is it's doing it when you know full well, no one's bloody well watching exactly there's the other little thing to that right which is people are very people are very good at showing up when they they know they're going to get a round of applause certainly in the social media world and there's nothing wrong with that right like there's nothing wrong with that but when you're just you know no no bloody no one's watching no one's watching no one cares no you full well know that you could not do it and nobody would know any different but you still do it anyway i think currently in our world those are the times when you win that's the winning when you, you know, I mean, at the moment I'm, I'm on a bit of a push to try and get leaner. Um, I'm probably about 10%. I'm trying to push to get a little bit leaner than that. So, you know, it's then doing all the work that nobody sees. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm starting to open cupboards and just look in cupboards and go, oh, shut the cupboards and walk away. Like it's getting <laughs> to that point. And, I'll, and it, 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 like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bugger for doing that. Cause I'm like, is there something I can sneak into my macros? I'm like, I could have another bit of dark chocolate. Yeah. But oh, it's like, and you just shut the cupboards and walk away. And it's, I could do, I could eat, I could eat what I like, you know, I could, I could yeah. do it, but some, you still got to hold on and go, no, the goal is still bigger than that. You know, just before I came on here, um, you know, I went downstairs, there's a gym, there's a gym in where I live and, um, I went downstairs and, and got another 40 minutes of walking in, um, which took me, takes me about 15,000 steps for the day. Did I have to do it? Well, technically to try and get towards the goal. Yes. Was there anyone watching and cheering behind me? Of course there bloody well wasn't. Nobody yeah. gives two flying rats asses about what whether I did it or not. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying 40 minutes walking on a tre- treadmill is particularly difficult, but it's still the, okay, I need to get it done. I need to fit it in. I need, you know, I, I, I need to get it done because the, the result means something to me. It means something to me because I know that I'll have let myself down if I don't take enough steps every day towards the goal. I had an analogy in the prep, which was at the end of the day, I would close my eyes and vision, like I got back big into sort of visioning things. We always do something twice. We People who are good at something do something twice. They think about it, they do it. They, they, they manifest a thought and that mm-hmm. happens all of the time. So someone might, someone might want to go and do a really big set of squats. What do they do? They're kind of probably imagining themselves doing it before they do it. They, they, they kind of mentally go through it. What does a hundred meter sprinter do just before they go down the lane? They vision themselves going and winning. Like it's a vision thing. Um, so oh, that's, that's completely taken me off track of what I was about to do now. Was I, I've, <laughs> I've lost my train of thought entirely, which is really annoying because I'm not going to get a chance to go back on that, am I? 
No, the, the cool part about what you're saying here, dude, I'll give you a couple of minutes. Hopefully you can grab that one uh, is, is keeping those promises you're made yourself and then doing it when no one's watching. I love that yeah. combination because it's so true. It's so true. There's so many times, you know, that I'm out running or I'm out doing well before I start working with you, but out running and uh, doing all those things. And I don't give a shit if it was, this is for me. I need to be in peak state every day so I can show up best so I can serve the people at the highest level I possibly can. And I don't do that if I'm sitting in a chair. So yeah. by physically moving everything, your energy levels are higher, you're happier, all of that. Right. But what I really like about your program is the fact that you mix in, you know, somebody had told me like 80% of fitness is in the food and 20% is in the movement. Would you, would you agree with that? Absolutely not. Okay. So, um, so this is, this is a, this is a common thing. It depends on what people do think is the goal so there is yeah. a and I, and I have a I think nearly a whole podcast on this on, on this which is you know oh you know getting in shape is 80 percent nutrition right and i'm like yeah. well no um <laughs> because the catalyst to what our food does is comes off of how we move if we did not move i'm not saying focusing 80 percent on nutrition wouldn't mean we would lose weight possibly but is losing weight just the goal for some people maybe Maybe. Um, most of the people we work with, no. There is a goal of performance, wellness, longevity, health, physique, uh, strength. Um, th these things are, you know, so, so if it were just food, well, it can't possibly be because then we think, okay, the, the adaptations that come from our body come from our body being put into an uh, imposed demand, a stress placed on our body. Mm -hmm. Therefore, our body adapts to that stress. The simplest ex explanation, we train a bicep, we train it to the point where it fatigues and cannot do any more work. And so we get little micro tears, which is not a bad thing, but a good thing in the muscle fibers. The body goes, oh, heck, I wasn't able to do that thing. So as I repair myself, I will repair stronger. That's the body adapting to an imposed demand. No different to if I went and tried to run a mile, I, it would kill me. Um, I wouldn't make it a mile. I'm not a runner. I never have been. But if I decided I wanted to run, I would go and do it. Um, I wouldn't run a mile. So I would then have to recover for two to three days. And then I would get a bit further and then I would recover. So if we don't have that imposed demand, how can we expect our body to improve? If we wanted more muscle, we wanted a better this, better that, just focusing on 80% nutrition is never, ever, ever going to get the job done. We can't out-train a bad diet. This is true. We could do all the training in the world and be an absolute idiot when it comes to food, and we're going to stand still. But to, to, but to put so much weight on the nutrition, then, then let's say it's 80% nutrition and 20% training. What's left for recovery, supplementation, sleep optimization, stress reduction, Da, 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 da. Like there's a whole bunch, so many other things that need to be taken into consideration. And again, the go, one thing that goes along with the, um, the oh, it's 80% nutrition is you know, along the lines of, I only need to fix one thing. Oh, I, I, like someone said to me today, oh, you know, everything's absolutely perfect. I just need to fix my nutrition. And I know full well that nev I've never spoke to anyone who's that's the case ever. It's never happened. One, when I say to someone, how lean do you think you are right now? They're never anywhere near where they think they are. Never, right? And I can tell by looking at someone. Someone's like, oh, yeah, I've got a set of abs and they've got a double chin. And I'm like, I don't think you probably have. Um, so therefore, it's got to be a case of there's more things to fix. So if there's more things to fix, we can't put 80% on nutrition. 
It's important. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. But training is the catalyst to change. Um, Therefore, and again, I think I think this this sort of little law or little myth has come about because again, most people think they train quite well, which is absolute shit, really. Funny, most people's training right is now. absolutely <laughs> shocking. Technically, yeah, yeah. around the world, most people's training is shocking, and it's no one's fault. It's no one's fault. Why? Because most people did what I did, which is go mm-hmm. to the gym and copy everybody else. Yep. Um, I guess I just had some sort of desire to take it up a level, and I and I and I managed to find my way out of that you know, a lot of the people I was training around were my age, which means they'd been training their whole life and hadn't got any better. And I don't know, again, I, I thought, well, there has to be something that I, I want to result for what I'm doing here. So no, to, to sort of, to end that sort of, that uh, my thoughts on that, I, I think nutrition is incredibly important, of course, but to put only 20% on training, like if, if I could only think of those two things, it's at least 50, 50, <laughs> like, you know, my, okay. my effort in terms of, you know, what I do and when I go into the gym and the focus that's required and the recovery that's needed and the planning and the volume sort of escalation and the progression schemes and just the technical ability that I've had to, the skill acquisition I've had to put into the training. Um, like the, the, that's always ongoing. The food, just eat it now. I, I, yeah. I've got to 10% body fat without tracking a single thing for the last six months. Legit not tracked a thing and I'm at, I've got down to 10%. Now, most people wouldn't be able to do that, but then I've tracked every single day for 1,487 days or whatever roughly four years was, I can't remember exactly, everything for four days. So I so I, I learned the skill of it. So I got pretty good at it and I forced myself yeah. to stop, which means I can, I can tell you within a few grams if I've eaten enough protein, I know where fats are coming from so I can keep them low. Carbs are always a little bit of a challenge because I probably, if, if, if you're going to overeat anything, it's going to be carbs. But once you've got to a certain point, I can just, I just know. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, I just know, and they don't yet. Um, I've been here 19 years and, and it event, eventually you just know. Um, so the, the eating the food is probably easy. I, I would say I still put more thought and certainly effort into the training um because that's the that's the thing that got me away from being a stick it wasn't the food i could have think about it that way so there's the best example if i started life as a stick thin little andy um i could have ate the same food exactly that i've ate on the journey to get here but didn't train would i look like i look now no there's kind of the answer so the training is the catalyst so i think it deserves far more recognition than than that what that myth tends to say yeah i love how you unpack that because it's it seems incredibly strange to be uh, so focused just on the food side but i understand without a proper diet that the the workout doesn't stick it doesn't it doesn't have its its function you got to move both yep. uh yep. it's so important but dude i love how you unpack that now um how do you, when, when you come to training, because I, I love the way you guys do it, right? You have Shauna, I send in videos, she critiques, you mentioned earlier about, you know, doing the, the. you didn't mention this, but she talks a lot about this, about perfect reps, do less, but perfect reps, right? That the goal is not just to crank through as hard as you can and as fast as you can. And she's teaching me how to go much slower, how to keep everything in constant tension, how to do it right. And I know I've talked to other bodybuilders that 
uh, that are friends of mine that they're like, you know, it is so important to get that right. And so we take a video, I send it over to her and she just tears it apart. And I love that because now I'm like, okay, good, because I want to make sure I do it right. Right. What, yeah. What's the point of putting all this effort into it? If my elbows aren't in the right place and I'm not going to get the maximum, you know, end end game or the end mm. result that I'm looking for. So talk to us a little bit about perfect reps versus just reps and going slow versus going like crazy. So um, here's a phrase make the reps count don't just count the reps that's probably the top level of my answer towards this so again first first things first quite quite simply with this everybody just goes way too quickly everybody reps mindlessly one two three four they're just counting reps because they're just trying to get to 10 because yeah. they will see a program that says must do you know incline bench press four times 10 so they do four times 10 which is a complete waste of fucking time yeah. There's nothing magical about any rep number for a start. There's something magical about taking a set to a certain proximity to failure, whatever number that is. So we can, so I'll come back to that in a second. Um, so first of all, the way that we look at it is a, a couple of things. One exercise selection. There are only so many really good exercises for an individual and there are a lot of exercises to choose from, a lot of movement and different variations that we can, but there's only so, well, think about it this way. When it comes to a body, we're either pushing something up or pulling it down or pushing it away or pulling it back. Think about that. Mm -hmm. In terms of the big stuff, yes, we've got all the arm stuff going on. We've probably got some side stuff, but ultimately in terms of the big movements, we're either pushing something away or pulling it back, pushing it up or pulling it down. Four things. Four th so now it's how many variations of putting something down can we find a lot how many so we can now work so technically when we look at something it's actually quite simple but there are only there are certain ways of going about things mechanically that seem to work across the board that we're like okay this seems to work for very most people so when we're training something online we want the greatest chance of success so we just go after the the proven movements so we can write we can write plans and, and there'll be a lot of similarities between a lot of people's programs the big changes come where injuries, um, missing pieces of equipment, you know, things where it's like they end up getting completely individualized, but they can start very close together. Why? Because well, one, everybody thinks they're an absolute individual, which they are, but there's still only so many really good movements. So pick the right movements to start with. Then one, understand what that movement is designed to do. They're not all doing the same thing. Some movements are working a muscle through its mid range of movement. Some movements are working a muscle through where it might be fully extended. So it's working from a very lengthened range. And some might be doing the opposite where they're working a muscle right into where it's fully contracted. There's not many exercises that will work a muscle through all three ranges. There are some, but not many. Most of the times we need to program three, maybe two exercises to hit a muscle across its full range. So that's going on in the background. Then, yeah, in terms of tempo, the first thing we do is slow people down. So most people are repping at like a one, 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 one. Okay. We go, we think one and three. So technically, if we're pushing something away, we just push it. It's generally going to be about a second. It doesn't need to be particularly so. It doesn't need to be off like a rocket, but it's going to take about a second. And then it's lower something for three. So it's one, one, two, three, one. One, two, three. That's mm -hmm. it. And that seems to work across pretty much everything. It's just a pace that seems so good. Now, the things behind this are whenever we are lowering something or the what we call the eccentric phase, in other words, 
the muscle is lengthening. Mm, probably. We're just lowering the weight. So for a bench press, we're lowering it down towards us. For a lap pull down, we're lowering the weight back up. So it works in opposites. But that portion of the movement, we can cause more muscular damage, good muscular damage. We are stronger in that phase of the movement than any other part. So what we should therefore spend a bit longer there and try and fatigue that part. Once we finish contracting a muscle, we could still fight against its force for quite a few more reps, which is where most people tend not to take themselves to. So slowing that, slowing, slowing that portion down can be very useful. Also, it shows that we have control over the load. The load doesn't have control over us. We should be controlling a load, a weight, through every inch of the path that we move it through. Theoretically, within reason, we should be able to stop it every inch of the movement. We should be under that much control. Now, the thing is, is when people lower a weight too fast, they're not, they're not actually resisting the weight. The weight is just going back to wherever it started. Think of someone lowering a bench press and it goes onto their chest and it bounces off their chest, right? They're not, they're not in control of it in any way at all. Whereas if I don't do a bench press because it's a shockingly crap movement in the first place, but let's say we, we want to lower it to a point where it's like coiling a spring, it should be, it, we should be resisting that load on the way down. Like we're trying to coil a spring somewhere inside us so we can push back against it. So it's a mindset shift of, I'm not just moving something from A to B. That's a power lifter and nothing wrong with that. If you want to be a power lifter, but if our goal is physique development, then check this. Our goal is not to go into a gym and lift weights and use machines. That is not our goal. Granted, that is what we will do. We will lift weights and use machines, but our goal is to challenge muscles. It's as simple as that. Challenge a muscle. Put a muscle under tension constantly and keep it under tension, whether obviously we're contracting it and lengthening it, but the goal is to put it under that. And for that tension and for the volume of work that we do to slowly increase over time, but the problem is, is while it's slowly increasing over time, people tend to then forget about the quality of the form because they're chasing mm -hmm. a number and suddenly form breaks down and they don't realize it's broken down to a point where they're now not actually progressing. In other words, to allow themselves to continue moving forward, they've changed the form to allow the movement forward. They've not got stronger because everyone wants to get stronger so much quicker than they actually can, you know, um, again, a thing to consider here is there's maybe about five things that we can progress in training. So we've got load, we've got sets, we've got reps, we've got rest time, we've got execution, five. And loading and weight should be the last one that we progress. But what's the one that everybody tries to progress first? We? The weight, the yeah. load. So everybody hits plateaus really quickly. They, like, they go up in weight, up in weight, up in weight when they had no... They, they had no reason to. They could, have, they could have added an extra set and got progression. They could have done extra reps. They could have sharpened up their execution. They could have got sharper with their rest. They could have, all these other things could have been worked on first before adding a little tiny bit of weight. Get all those things right. I've now pushed. Okay, now add a bit of weight. And then suddenly we're now making progress in a sustainable, smart, progressive manner that's going to lead to less injuries and a damn sight better physique at the end of it. So... I, I don't know if that's unpacked a little bit of the sort of thought process behind what we do. And then again, that's, that's I guess, individualized. Um, some people progress certain things better. Some people struggle to progress load at all. Some people um, struggle to progress reps, but you give them an extra set to do and they'll go and do it because that extra rest, that extra 60 seconds of rest was enough for them to be able to make progress. Um, but we focus in on the form immediately 
Um, because there's no point. There's no point someone lifting a weight if they can't actually move their body correctly without the weight. They have no business of moving a weight. That happens a lot. Watch someone try and do an air squat. If someone stands up, right, just squat your body. And if they cannot do it, they can't. They can't squat their own body really, really well. What business do they have putting a bar on their back and doing it with weight? None, none whatsoever. But you watch someone, if I said to someone, right, do an air, you just got your body, just do an air squat. Most people want to fall over backwards because they can't mechanically put their body in the right place. So then what business do they have shoving a bar with 20 kilos, 40 kilos, 100 kilos? Absolutely none. So it's about fix the form first, get a foundation in place, and then methodically progress it thereafter. I love that. It's, it's so good. And, you know, what I love about, you know, the philosophy of hiring the best and, and you know, surrounding yourself with the best people now at 44 years old, I can take what you've learned in the last 19 years and compress it into, you know, a couple of years and get the results that I'm looking for, as opposed to trying to figure it out for the next 20 years of my life and maybe yep. not even get where I want to go. So that's yep. the beautiful, beautiful part about finding people because success does leave clues. And I love that. So I could talk to you all day about this, Andy, but uh, I got to wrap it up here. So tell us where we can find you, what kind of programs you offer, that kind of thing. So, uh, so in programs, I mean, first of all, everything we do is completely bespoke. So if someone was interested in what we do, the best thing to do is is uh, reach out to us. You might put some links in your show notes. I don't know if you do, but if you do, I'll, I'll send you some links over. The, the best thing to do is reach out to us. And the first thing we always do is just have a very simple conversation with anybody, basically to find out if we can help. It, it, that's it. Um, we never talk about individualized programs until I can sit there and ask myself the question, can we help this person get to their goal, probably past it and stay there? Because if I can't answer that, then there's no point having any further of a conversation. But yeah, so uh, it, reaching out to us and, and you know having that conversation is, is, a, is a good first step. So where to reach out to us? So any my name on any social media platform, essentially you'll be able to find me. Uh, my profile picture is, is me still on stage uh, with my hands above my head um, in a bit of a victory pose standing on stage. Um, it's just a really easy picture to find. So, so certainly that on Facebook, um, Instagram. I mean, the Optimal Alpha Podcast is a really good place. You know, here if, if if you've enjoyed and found anything that I've spoken about today compelling and interesting, then this is all that I talk about essentially on my podcast and delve deep into uh, uh, into into topics on that. Uh, LinkedIn profile. So I'm Andy Naylor on LinkedIn, Andy Naylor on Facebook, um, and Andy Naylor Pure Elite Pro um on on instagram so any of those socials and then uh joshua i can obviously leave you some some links for the show notes if you want me to for sure yeah and i certainly appreciate that and so andy you've obviously gone through from electrician didn't last long got into a couple different things got into uh you know bodybuilding and and health and, and personal training now for 19 years what is one is there an overarching philosophy that you use that we can wrap the show up with here that that you you think about daily that keeps you pushing forward cool crikey um not to put you on the spot that's that actually a really <laughs> tough question um one over I, I don't know i don't know if there actually is technically certainly one that we've maybe not covered already um i think well i'll do you know i'm going to go back to uh, find things i'm going to go back to um find things that are difficult and go and do them Purp okay. purposefully find things that slightly scare you and do them because it, it, you'll generally go and find things that are somewhere down the path that you want to go. So, you know, some people might find coming on and doing something like this because it's essentially public speaking, like really, really nerve wracking. And I would have done at one point for certain. Um, but I knew that if I was going to go down the road of, 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 of speaking, maybe becoming a motivational speaker and certainly being, able to, certainly being able to inspire another person to go get into shape, I'd need to articulate myself. So what did I do? 
kept putting myself in situations like this so that they become very, very natural, that it's all it's done is helped me flourish, I think, I hope, in the direction that I was already going. So that's, I guess that's a theme that will now work across anybody wherever they are. So, you know, if your goal is, is, is something to do with business, then the difficult thing that you need to find to go and do would be something to do with your business. And that could be pushing yourself to learn more. It could be pushing yourself to make better decisions. It could be pushing yourself to try try and not do everything in your business. There's a good yeah. one, right? We all, you know, most of us end up doing way too much and we need to delegate things to be able to have a clear path to be more visionary in our own business. That might be really difficult and really challenging. So go find the thing that's challenging. Go yeah. find the thing that you're not good at and go and do that, which is not the path of least resistance. You can't not do that and grow as a person. And I think if if we go through this thing called life, this one shot on the merry-go-round that we've got, and all we did was grow and experience things along the way, some adversity and a few wins along the way, then I think we think we've done a half-decent job. But we can't do that through shying away from the difficult stuff. Embrace the challenge. Like embrace the suck. Like if if, yeah. if shit's going to get really difficult, like like lean into that. Um, yeah. And uh, I think it's a mindset. It's a it's a growth mindset of don't see something as a negative when it's difficult. The more difficult something is and you overcome it, the more you're going to move forward. So I know that that's not one overarching thought, but I guess you know to sort of wrap well, up the things is. we've been talking about today. I think those yeah. those would be the ethics that I think I try and think about every day. And I'm not saying that's easy. And the stuff that I really hate doing, and I'd still try and do it the best I can. Um, but I think that's I think that's a thought process that would you could overlay that on anybody's journey. I think, and and it would be relevant. I think. I love it. Any, I mean, you can have said it better, you know, to look fear square in the eyes yeah, and yeah. smile. Obviously people on the podcast won't see what's behind me. And I don't know if it's coming out on anywhere visually, but behind me, there's a okay. big picture of a lion. Like, yep. I mean, imagine, imagine staring that thing down and being like, I'm just going to stand here and stare at you. Now I don't know if that's a good idea or not. Someone who's a lion tamer would probably <laughs> tell me that's maybe not a good idea, but, yeah. but sometimes you've got to stare adversity right in the face and be like, yes. I'm tougher than you. I'm yeah. more stubborn than you. I've got more about me than whatever the thing is. And if you start yeah. to, here's the thing. If you start to do that often enough, you'll start to believe in yourself. Mm. Then what you'll start to do is bet on yourself. Yes. Then, then you're going forward. Then you're going forward. Dude, I love it. I love it. You know, the crazy part, once you start doing that, at least my journey has been that my faith increases because I know there's a bigger power above all of us. Right. So the next mm -hmm. thing you know, it's faith and then you're unstoppable. Yep. Right. That's like the yep. next level. It's like, you know, that you, you, you know exactly where you're going, why you're doing it. And you can take on anything because, you know, a, you won't give up on yourself. You will not stop. You will not stop until you win. And B, it's not just you going along. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Love it, man. Love it. All right, brother. Thank you for being on the show here. I hope some of you, everybody out there listening uh, got something from this. I always enjoy talking to Andy and uh, I cannot wait, Andy, to come back. I know I'm on with you for six months to start. I cannot wait in six months to bring you back in a podcast and talk about how this journey has been because, dude, I'm already 100%. loving it. It's kicking my ass and uh, <laughs> it's, it's going to be amazing. 100%. Yeah, I, I, I'm more than happy to come back and do this at the, uh, well, that might not be the end of your journey, but at least at the end of those six months or something like that, we can sort of have a, a, a touch base and see how things are going and uh, see what's changed for us both. Yeah, absolutely up for that. Awesome. I appreciate you, Andy. Have a good one. Cheers, and guys, man, we'll talk to you next week.